Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, I talk about four different types of freedom, time, financial, location, health freedom. And in that light, I'm always on the cutting edge looking for entrepreneurs, disruptors, people changing the world. So today, I have Chris Hood, and his he worked for Google for six years as the head of business innovation and strategy. And he's got over 35 years of experience in business and technology development. So I'm really excited to have him on the show, pick his brain, get his insights, uh, talk about business, culture, digital transformation, and everything. Chris, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I know um, we had connected through Podmatch. And tell us more about how you got started, and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, started with where, where do you want me to start? <laughs> I can start back when I was, uh, in high school. That was a long time ago. Um, yeah, actually, if we just think about technology in general, one of my first jobs was working at a computer store in the mall back when malls were actually popular. And from there, I've had technology kind of at the core of everything I've done 35 plus years. And over the course of that time, I've had a lot of different types of jobs in technology and other areas of business. And then as things evolved and technology became more prevalent in all of our lives, I started to do more of this type of consultation with organizations about the impacts of technology on all of our businesses and even our lives and and trying to understand how technology has not only evolved but where it's going and of course that's one of the biggest questions is where is it going what we do know is that digital technology are accelerating at such a rapid pace that it's almost impossible for us to keep up with now and at the heart of what i talk about are those concepts of of how do we keep up and how do organizations transform through these disruptions that we all are faced with. And yeah, as you said, I've, I've been doing it for quite some time now. Yeah, it's awesome because um, I I think you started earlier, but I, I, I got, um, I started undergrad 96 when the first email applications were getting started. And uh, all my friends, they went into tech. They said it was going to be the next thing. And I was like, I put my head down, became a doctor. And then, you know, 30, 20 plus years later, they're changing the world. So 
Um, it's quite interesting and really it's, you know, social media, search, smartphone, everything it's in. So I'm curious to get your take on, like you were talking about where it is and where it's going. So I'm really excited. Um, well, I mean, what we just get started is, uh, one is, um, so we talk about, just talk about, um, you talk about this idea of digital transformation or digital acceleration, kind of expand upon that. Yeah, I think digital transformation is one of these phrases that most of your listeners have probably heard. And most of your listeners probably have what they believe is the definition of digital transformation. I will argue they're all wrong. <laughs> and that's, I think, part of the challenges that a lot of companies are faced with is they hear all of this marketing jargon out there about, I've got to digital, digitally transform. Uh, use this product to help me transform. Uh, use that product and you'll be able to accelerate your digital transformation. Like all of these catchy, overused phrases around digital transformation to uh, really ultimately try to sell you something. The reality is, is if we just break down the word, and, and I won't get into the definition, I, I, maybe in a minute I will, but if we just break down the word digital transformation, for a lot of organizations, sounds very complex. It, it sounds time-consuming. Anytime we talk about just transformation, whether that's digitally or culturally within an organization, even ourselves, like if we ourselves try to transform, uh, say we go on a diet or something like that, those things take time and it takes commitment. And so we think about this in this lengthy project-oriented mindset the technology that we're dealing with to try to transform around, as I mentioned earlier, is accelerating at such a rapid pace that by the time you transform to do whatever it is that you were trying to do, all of a sudden you've got new technology and now you're trying to do it again and again. So there's often this question like, does digital transformation actually ever stop? We think it does because we're in this mindset like, oh, if I do this, I've successfully gone through digital transformation, which brings us to this concept around digital acceleration, which is definitely more speedy sounding. It sounds more current, relevant, and really they're the same thing. It's just changing the words because organizations do need to transform, but they have to transform to a point where they're going to be able to sustain the accelerated pace that is happening with technology. That means mm -hmm. that you're going to have to get to a point where you're able to keep up with the rate by which technology is evolving and be able to have an organization capable of doing that. It's no longer a one-time project. It's no longer an even an ongoing type of uh, commitment. This is like, how do you get to a point where you can leapfrog over everything and be able to stay ahead of the pace as technology is changing and be able to keep up with it? That's the digital acceleration piece. And again, yeah. both are very complicated. You, you can't do it as a one-time project and, and think that you're done with it. it, it and you, it's going to lead up to questions about AI, um, you know, obviously with um, but one thing I had to question about is, um, you know, in the past, it was basically you had the fangs and they controlled everything, all the data. 
Um, and now, what do you see did the digital transformation acceleration with Web3? Or you think that's, I'm curious about your thoughts because you've been at the front seats of that. Well, that just goes into, again, If let's go to the definition. So digital transformation, the, the actual real definition of transformation, digital transformation, your ability to keep up with the changing demands of your customers. That's what it is. And so if your customers are demanding or expecting to engage with you with some type of technology, you've got to be able to apply that to the experience that they're in. And if you don't, they're going to go off and find another company that does allow them to do it. We, as the consumers, are the ones that are transforming the fastest. Technology comes out, we adapt it. And so to your point, Web3 is no different. We could go through the entire cycle, Web1, Web2, Web3, and it doesn't matter if it's Web4, Web5, or <laughs> Web Infinity. We are going to be using it as consumers. And the more we use it, the more that the, the businesses have to be able to adopt it and then be able to implement it on our behalf. We are ultimately the deciding factor and all of that. And so you'll have a lot of organizations out there trying to predict the future, like, oh, Web3 is the next big thing. We're going to invest a lot of money into Web3, and we're going to uh, get ahead of this because we know that Web3 is going to be astronomical, and, and all of our customers are going to be asking for it and demanding it. You don't know that. Sorry, but you don't. We, we can predict, maybe, because it's a natural progression, Again, we can see what happened between Web 1 and Web 2 to predict where's Web 3 going. There's only a very small fraction of the population that is even remotely interested today in Web 3. And if that demand was higher, and, and I'll just give you an example. Uh, if we are talking the difference between, say, blockchain, NFT, you know, anything in that type of metaverse, anything in that realm versus I have a mobile app that has a, a, a mobile game on it. 5%, if not more, are going to pick the mobile game because they understand it, it's accessible, it's easy, and they're going to continue to do that until something changes. When something changes, it's the consumer that is changing it, and then the companies are going to have to be able to adapt to that. Mm. And Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, most people don't, like, you know, still like, for example, crypto, NFTs, Web3, all these are really nascent ideas. And, you know, right now it's raw with just negative press. And um, and you made up a good point was that um, the consumer dictates how it, when it gets to go mainstream, which brings me to my next point, which is uh, our AI and basically, you know, kind of um, the um, kind of an inflection point was uh, when um, OpenAI released chat gpt for the for basically mass use almost for free but now you have to pay subscribe tell us how what are your thoughts on ai um i know you worked at google and um and kind of uh, i'm just really curious this uh, microsoft google uh, are they going to be synergistic or are they going to try and compete against each other um i'm just curious yeah i mean ai is a great example of what we've just been talking about so Look, AI has been around for 20 plus years, probably more. 
but we'll we'll start with that. We'll say 25 years. AI has been around for 25 years. And now today, everybody's using AI. So it's taken 25 years for it to reach mass appeal and ultimately accessibility. So you talk about chat GPT as an example. Um, why is it so popular? Because it's something that's easily consumable, understandable, and really anybody can use it. And so it becomes popular. But 25 years ago, we had AI, which in theory almost did the exact same, you know, but was not accessible and was not popular. If we, if we consider Web3 as that same type of benchmark, we've got years before it becomes mainstream. We still have some challenges with AI. There's still some laws in it in terms of logic and how it interacts. There's also the human element, right? There's a fear that there's, uh, you know, this human element aspects to AI, which fuels the concepts of AI is going to take over the world. The reality is, is there's no human consciousness or no human emotional impact directly within the AI. It's only regurgitating what it thinks it has to regurgitate. There's no substance or, or reality to that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what we're going to continue to see is more AI products. And we definitely see this in the startup world. Tons of organizations creating AI. Tons of organizations trying to find new applications for the AI. You know, we talk about uh, like chat AIs. Uh, and, and language AIs, there's there's visual AIs, you know, the art scene has imploded now, you know, because of some of the AI that is uh, generating art, you know, music AI now where you can compose orchestrations, you know, leveraging AI, you know, those applications are going to continue to grow and thrive people's uh, interest. And again, mostly because it's now easily accessible and really anybody can access it you know you log on to discord and access ai and play with it which is really fun for a lot of people but in terms of where we go next who knows i mean again it's going to continue to evolve it's going to continue to automate uh, processes i think there is a fear that it's going to replace jobs i read a report today that said uh, one of the sports magazines are going to be laying off a lot of uh, writers and replacing them with AI because AI can basically write the same articles that their writers are. Partly true, um, but you know, there's also going to be an increase in jobs. There's going to be an increase in uh, roles for data scientists, an increase in roles for people who understand and can program AI, and an increase in uh, people who can access it. If we think about, uh, again, going back to the web 2.0 to web 3.0 kind of analogy, when web two started to materialize, you know, again, we'll say 20 years ago, everybody was trying to become a web designer. And there was, you know, millions of people like, okay, I'm gonna be a web designer. Today, there are millions of people who are web designers, but you could pretty much develop a website, you know, automatically. And there's obviously multiple templates and ways that you can just press a button and you've got a website up, right? You, we've removed the need to uh, actually do a lot of the web development that we've had to do over the last 20 years. And again, it's because the tools have become more powerful, the mechanisms, the interest. And, and if you think about that from an AI point of view today, 
everybody wants to be an AI developer in theory, but the tools are going to progress and the applications are going to increase that you're no longer going to necessarily need AI developers. You're going to need people who can uh, maintain it, you know, sort of like an SEO person who's out there helping organizations maintain their SEO. But you can go and you can do a, an analysis on your website, get an SEO score, figure out the changes, make modifications, right? I think the same thing is going to naturally progress as we start looking at the evolution of AI and over the course of time as that gets integrated into Web 3.0. Yeah, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people and like, you know, some are fearful and then some basically learn how to use it and kind of uh, for like, for example, using it to increase your writing output 10 times and, you know, save a lot of time and or just basically you come up with the idea and the AI creates the article and you kind of come in and edit here and there. Uh, and then plus there's going to be Cambrian explosion of new jobs um, and how you use the AI. So it's with every disruptive technology, there's jobs that get killed, but there's also jobs that get created. Really interesting. I, I, like I said, I love tech because it's always forefront. It's always changing and it's at the forefront of social culture everything one you know as we're um coming to the uh end of this um talk here um tell us more like so there's there's responsible tech innovation tell us more a little bit about um like purpose-driven technology responsible tech innovation and we'll call it a day yeah i mean i think ai is a natural segue we're all going to be thinking you know is is the next terminator coming and <laughs> is that going to be a real and and how do we build in uh, not only logic inside of the AI, but back to those human emotions and understanding and, and you know, the laws of AI ethics. I, ha I had a fabulous conversation once on another podcast. It was a legal podcast. And we approached this basic uh, kind of question. If you were uh, in need of surgery uh, and somebody came to you, the doctor came to you and said, okay, we've got two options. Either I can perform the surgery, in which case I'm about, you know, 95% uh, sure, <laughs> you know, I can be successful. Or I have an AI, a robot that we've created that will do all the surgery. I, I don't have to be there. And the robot is, is probably closer to 99% accurate. Who would you like to have, you know, the real person or the doctor? And I argue that today, probably most people would choose the real doctor, mm. even with that 5% error because of trust and, and concerns. I also asked the same question around uh, attorneys and lawyers, judges. Imagine if you were in a case and let's say you were being tried for murder or something, you know, really serious. And the judge was a robot. And all the judge has is basically, this is the law. I understand the law. I can process the law. And it's basically going to be guilty or not guilty based on what the foundations of the law are. They're not going to consider really emotional testimony or circumstantial evidence or any other types of things. In reality, you've got a 50 percentage and if the robot gets to 51, yes or no, does that mean you're automatically guilty? And these are challenging conversations. 
because I don't think anybody would want a robot judge who's going to say I'm guilty at that 51% feel sorry for me and give me leniency or anything like that. That gets removed from the equation. These ethical and complex challenges, everyday life beyond, hey, we've got something that's generating art and writing for us. Think about what does that future look like where you might put the lives of individuals in the hands of AI. Really, there's no difference than automated cars, autonomous cars. The ethical logic that has to be programmed in is an age-old philosophical ethical dilemma. There's a puppy dog in front of you. Do I turn left or right? If the puppy dog is in front of you, but there's a child in the crosswalk to the right, do I turn left? If there's an old person on the left, a young person on the right, and the puppy dog in the middle, which way do I go? And you've got to be able to program a computer, a robot, AI, in a car, in a vehicle, to make that decision spontaneously. Mm. And which one's right? And who gets to decide if it's right or wrong? Mm. And I think until we can better understand those ethical dilemmas and be able to accurately and effectively develop AI that can comprehend those ethical dilemmas, mm. we still have a far long way to go uh, to be concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Very. These are really questions for the, you know, 20, 30 beyond. <laughs> I may be dead by then. <laughs> um, or maybe maybe I'll be replaced by an AI or something. <laughs> How do people contact you? Um follow you you're on social media i know you also have a uh, podcast as well um or you have the chris hood digital show so tell us more how the people can reach out to you yeah the best way to reach out to me is just come to my website go to my website at chris hood you can also look me up uh you know on google chris hood and you should be able to find me uh on my website is my blog and all of my social media profiles. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, a podcast, a new podcast that I'm getting ready to launch actually in March called the Chris Hood Digital Show, where we will dive into these types of conversations on a weekly basis with industry experts that uh, deal with this type of stuff. Excellent. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation from a leading person on the tech side. And uh, be sure to check out Chris's all of his resources on Facebook, LinkedIn, he's on Instagram, Twitter, he also YouTube, and as well as his upcoming podcast will, links will be in it will those resources will be in the links and show notes. And again, thanks for a fascinating discussion around tech and you know, kind of responsible and where it is and where it's going at AI. Uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. you are listening if you liked it be sure to like comment share subscribe we're on everywhere 
Spotify, iTunes, Google, Amazon, Audible. And without much ado, be sure to thank this show's sponsors, and we'll see you next week.